This week on the podcast, talking to a former comedian who now uses his skills for nonprofit marketing good. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Well, today's guest is going to be Lee Kessler, the VP of Marketing of Charity Engine of CharityEngine.net and also a keynote speaker known for his stand-up speaker series. Uh, Lee, welcome. Thank you, George. And I also have in my notes that you're like a former slash recovering stand-up comedian. Is that is that true? That is uh, that is one hundred percent true. Uh, recovering is an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> I added those are uh, my words, not yours. Uh, maybe gra- a graduated <laughs> stand-up comedian. Uh, no, I am. Uh, that that is my background. My my twenties, uh, early thirties were uh, spent as primarily as a professional stand-up comedian. That's amazing. Uh, how how does a comedian then evolve into the the nonprofit sector? Let's just start there. So that's not a necessarily a natural evolution, but it's one that makes full sense. Um, it actually started from in in doing stand up. I did a lot of television. Uh, uh, I was on uh, a lot of pop culture commentary shows, Best Week Ever on VH1 and uh, CNN Showbiz Tonight. So a lot of TV where I was speaking on um, very pop culture focused. I had created a TV show, had an idea for one, new people in television. We got together and shot a pilot. And um, in shooting the pilot, I didn't want to travel as much for stand-up, because that's really how you make it. I was living in New York City, and as a comedian, that's how you make your money, really, is going on the road. Um, But I didn't want to miss opportunities to pitch to networks. So I needed to find a way to supplement my income. I got a job as a copywriter at an advertising agency that specialized in cultural marketing. And our clients were like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Philadelphia Museum of Art. So um, really niche audience. But that was what began my move towards the advertising, branding, marketing world, and especially always sort of surfing along uh, in the nonprofit space. And that goes about, I mean, that's almost, uh, gosh, that's almost, you know, a little over 10 years ago now. So. And then you end up VP of marketing, uh, Charity Engine, sort of bringing that, that experience in the, the, the comedy world, the writing world, and, and marketing together. Can you give us a brief on what, uh, what it is Charity Engine does? Sure. Um, so I, Charity Engine, we're a, we're a nonprofit CRM, uh, and then all of the tools one needs for fundraising, so a fundraising platform. Uh, and the beauty with that is you have within your reach the all the functions and tools and capabilities to do events and on donor management, direct mail, uh, email, and peer-to-peer, and uh, vol- uh, advocacy. All of that feeding directly into our CRM single database where that data is all aggregated and enriched. And so with that, you get a, an ecosystem of data based on your interactions with all of your audiences. Um, so that's that's primarily what we do. The company has been around since 1999. We've been focused on the nonprofit space for about the past 
seven years. Uh, and that's how long the Charity Engine name has been around. Gotcha. So it's kind of like a, a one ring to rule them all, keep all your data in one space. And, uh, and I've heard nonprofits care a lot about fundraising from a friend. From what I've seen in all my research, that seems to be true. Um, yeah, I mean, we're really trying to solve what I think is the biggest problem, which is uh, nonprofits do acquisition, right? You're out there getting getting people in, and but in many ways they're doing repetitive acquisition. It's not necessary uh, necessarily stewardship and cultivation. To do that, you need all of your data in one place. Uh, and we've really tried to solve that problem for nonprofits and said, here's all the things you need to do, and then we'll get it all into our CRM, which you can then use for purposes you know, and even down the line purposes you don't know. So moving into the other area of your expertise, it's, it's always interesting to me that a toolbox on your floor is not fixing anything in your house. Your approach seems to be sort of taking these elements of, you know, your, you call it the stand out, like a stand up and, and being authentic. And I think it comes from a unique place because I love it when someone's bringing an outside area of expertise and on the edge, bringing it into the narrative that nonprofits have to bring, especially to stand out in an ever crowded environment. Can you help me understand uh, how you frame this and, and bring this, uh, this out in your keynote? Yeah, and so I, I speak to nonprofits about this. I speak to all sorts of organizations. I speak to entrepreneurs. Um, I'm speaking uh, next month to the Legal Marketing Association uh, the North, they're at their Northeast Conference. So it's really anybody who's tasked with uh, selling their, uh, their service, their mission, their product, whatever it is. The thing going back to sort of what brought me into the this marketing world was that when you look at stand-up comedians and how the world works and a little background on stand-up, there's two kinds of stand-up comedy. If you think about it, uh, there is, you go, you're, you're in Cincinnati, Ohio, and you're watching a show and there's three comics. You have an opener, you've got a middler who's going to do maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And then you have a headliner who's going to do 40 minutes to an hour. So that's kind of what we think of as stand-up comedy, which is a three uh, three comic show um, and the last person being very talented and being the most professional guaranteeing a great show. When you're in New York, or you're in LA, you are trying to primarily be there because you want to break into TV or you want to break into film. You want to move up and become uh, a, a, a name, a star in some way. In that case, what you're doing is performing at showcase clubs. And by the way, this ties into the question you just asked. I don't want you to think. Oh, this I'm is just fun. You know what? This is mostly this podcast is for me. I'm fascinated. I actually want to know: were you a, were you an opener, a middler, a headliner? Where where did you end up? Well, I was everything. I mean, I was. Um, I started in. Uh, you know, you well, you start as an open micer, <laughs> and you've got nothing, <laughs> and then you put together five pretty okay minutes and then somebody says hey can you do 15 and you say sure and so, <laughs> so you got five pretty good minutes and then you got a 10 minutes of uh, you, you know you better be good on your feet um, all right i'm ruining your metaphor and entire flow because <laughs> i'm well, a great host here it, it does actually all relate together and because what you're doing is not only learning the fundamental so as i said you start as an opener you're doing a couple minutes you're the head you're the feature 
or middle act where you're good, you're maybe not the best, but you've got a solid set in there, you know what you're doing. And that is two things. That is, you're a professional. Like, you can execute at the job. Somebody is hiring you to entertain the audience. They know that no matter the circumstances, you're going to deliver at some level. And then goes to the headliner, which is they're paying you the most, giving you the most time, because you are capable as a professional of delivering for any group, making them laugh for, you know, 45 minutes an hour. Um, during that, that evolution is always talking about figuring out your voice. Who are you? Because you could go your whole life and just do jokes. You'll never really go anywhere. But the great comedians are all honing their voice and figuring out why are they unique and what is their story to tell um, and why are they special, which leads actually perfectly to what I was just talking about, about breaking into TV. In that case, if you're doing, and you're in New, you're in New York, you're doing the comic strip or uh, Stand Up New York, you're doing uh, Gotham, it, when you're being seen by TV people, like the Tonight Show people, and you can see this with shows like Last Comic Standing, where you're getting basically three minutes, and they've got like 15 comics doing three minutes each. You have to, in that three minutes, engage them and make these NBC or talent people, late night people say, there's something here I've never seen before and I'm really interested. And if you're just doing the same material as everybody else, they're not going to feel that way. Well, when you get into being what I am, and you can't see because this is a podcast, but I am, I'm a white Jewish male. Um, uh, and, and add to that heterosexual. So the, there's a, there literally are thousands of me in the comedy world. So when you're doing one of these showcase shows where they're looking at 15 comics and there's maybe nine other white guys, how do I differentiate myself as I'm, I'm something special? I'm different than these people. And you have to come out of the gate communicating that. It's in your look. It's in your clothing. It's in your voice. It's the first thing you say when you talk to an audience. That's exactly what your website is, right? So... Because um, that's nowadays the first place that people really see you, an organization. So what, you know, when, when they've got seven other charities that do the same thing you do, how are you differentiating and saying, you know, there's something different and interesting about this organization? Just like I wanted them to say, you know what, there's a lot of white guys here, but there's a really interesting spin to what this guy's talking about that I want to know more and that's a really hard thing to do, is to communicate why you are unique in an entertaining way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and developing your voice in this metaphor, ultimately standing out um, and differentiating because frankly, when you look online for animal charity, I want to help the X. Um, part of it is so much, I think the first step of like fitting in and the mentality of, you know, our site has to look like the other sites so that we can convey trust and trust is the word and then conversion. And sometimes that narrative uh, and the story uh, and what actually differentiates can get lost. And, and it's a great analogy, a great metaphor. Maybe you can talk about some of the tactics in developing that voice and how that extends to, you know, a nonprofit trying to stand out in the environment uh, of, of you know social social impact. So um, 
I absolutely. I'm and glad to. And that's that's what the whole thing is about. Obviously, is figuring out why am I unique, especially when it's hard to really communicate that because an animal charity is an animal charity, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe you're focused on cats. Maybe you're focused on displaced, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, domestic animals. Maybe you're focused on uh, livestock. So you have to really understand, like, what is the the unique thing about you and how do you get that out right away? Most people don't know that about themselves. I think most nonprofits don't feel it fully know how to articulate that. They know why they're doing what they're doing. They, whatever reason they started, whatever the mission was originally, it was out of someone or some group's passion for solving a problem. But then you need to look back at, okay, you were trying to solve a problem, but what introduced you to the problem? And why were you in a position that you were introduced to the problem? And what about you um, uh, really tapped into that being a problem and you being in the place where you were? And I feel like you need to be able to look at your story as an organization, as an organization nonprofit, as an individual, as a comedian, whatever you're selling, and say, what's the real driver behind the story that created me or my organization? Not just this is what we do, but this is who we are and why we have to do this. And I, one of the things I do in my, org, uh, my presentation when I focus on nonprofits, I break out three different um, nonprofits, one of them being uh, in, the, in, three, in the cancer space. And I show the website for the American Cancer Society. And they do a really amazing job. There is some beautiful imagery, really well uh, thought out messaging, um, uh, emotional messaging that really resonates. They have a lot of people, a lot of resources to pull that off. Um, now, if you're also going to be in the cancer space, there has to be a reason because the American Cancer Society is doing a lot. So what is your specific thing? When I show um, in my presentation, when I show the different uh, these different organizations, I'll show the American Cancer Society. And then I show another organization and I, I, I'll, I'll spell it out. FC, F oh, you can say it. It's OK. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't even know if they use it, but I think it's fuck cancer. I don't. I think that's how they show it. But and when you get there, it is a guy who very like hard rocker looking guy. This was a guy who uh, unfortunately lost his battle with cancer. His friends um, put together this organization to honor him. And but what they're doing there, and they may not make as much money as they. I know they don't as American Cancer Society, but they're serving a different need which is American Cancer Society is, is sort of, is very baseline, it's very academic, they cover everybody. In this case, uh, and the website that I show, the first thing you see is the word anger. They're really tapping into, that's how people feel about cancer when they get it, when someone gets it, is anger. But these guys, when it came to their friend and their story and why they wanted to support it, anger doesn't really describe it. These are fuck cancer kind of guys. Right. And so there is a there are audiences who identify with that. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there if that's truly authentically who you are. Now, I'm not saying use bad words. 
Um, cause actually as a comedian, I was very clean, never blue. I don't like that. That's not my style, but don't be afraid to be very aggressive about this is who I am and be authentic and honest. I then show another website where it's the same name. It's a, uh, that, that one I think is F, uh, um, ribbon CK cancer, but it's actually professional women and much prettier looking site, much more uh, stylish. And these are professional women who are tackling cancer and being like, look, we're, we're, we're ball busters. We're, we're serious about it. We're professional. We look good, but we're, we're about that. We're not afraid to use that word. And I think your website has to immediately explain to people why you're here in the first place why you got into this, what this, who you're representing by doing this, and the audience will attach themselves to that. Even if it's not them, um, the, more, there's, the more specific you are about who you are authentically, the more everyone will relate. I often use the term, that, the, the phrase that um, uh, specificity is universal, generality is lost. The more specific you are, people can understand it. When you're general and you try to just touch a little bit of everybody, you don't really get connected to anybody. Yeah, tying in and, and emphasizing the emotion, the core basis of the message and the genesis, uh, and getting to that point very, very quickly because we have such little time uh, the, I'm sure you're familiar with the quote, the, the only difference between a, you know, the, the tra tragedy and, and, and humor is timing. And right. it seems like, especially, I'm glad you, know, you brought up cancer, like, well, how do you make that sort of, you know, funny or tap into a, an emotion? And, you know, you do it with that authentic story, uh, and then you communicate it in your title or, or your campaign. Uh, can you speak to those, some of the fear of, you know, when we pick a side, when we get uh, animated. We worry about, you know, isolating, oh, our base will offend somebody. Uh, how do you balance that? So it, that really goes back to the purpose behind you're doing it. Um, if it's authentic and it offends them, there's not much you can do. You can take it in and try to see how can I refine the message so I don't necessarily uh, offend people when I communicate it, but that doesn't mean that you're wrong about your opinion and perspective. Um, that's what in, the, in my session, I talk a lot about workshopping your material. When I do, and this, I mean, when I did comedy, but even now, whatever I'm doing, I have a great confidence in myself in that if I think something is funny, it's funny. If I had an idea for a joke or a bit, and I'm like, oh, this is, is funny, I write it down, and I, um, it's funny. I don't need an audience to communicate to me whether or not it's funny. What I need to do is workshop how to communicate to the audience what I thought was funny about it when I thought it was funny, and put them in the context. One of the great things I always talk about is like when someone tells you a story that they think is funny, at the end they don't laugh, and they say, well, you had to be there. Right, like, no, I didn't have to be there. You had to do a much better job of communicating to me the scenario of why it was funny in the first place. And so when you talk about offending, I think that's what it is. If my purpose is authentic and, and 
honest and good intentioned, then that's okay. If I offend people, I have to say, why? Was it my mistake and I could have done better? Or do I just have to say, hey, there are, not everybody's gonna love it. Um, as long as I don't hurt feelings, then, then I, I'll, I'll accept that. You, you, the most successful businesses now are, they say, are niches within a niche. And when you're a niche within your a niche, you're not going to appeal to everyone. And so you just have to accept that um, and determine whether it's authentic and true and you're, you were good intentioned in the first place. I absolutely love that takeaway. You cannot please all of the humans all of the times. It simply doesn't work. And in fact, uh, it's the surest way to get to average uh, that you can get. And I, I like you sort of emphasizing that point. Uh, the other piece in there, I, I, I've like heard through various avenues and would love for you to talk a little bit more about this workshopping process because everything you write is not a gem. So to get your like, what is it called? Like a type five on a stage, like how much material does it take? Like how long are the professionals working on finding this voice? So, so there's two question there, two questions there. There is finding your voice and workshopping a bit until you feel it's done. Um, so I would say workshopping a bit, there's, there's no way a joke is going to be complete within the first 30 times you've done it. it. It's just, unless it's a one liner and you just want to confirm that that line got left. But if you're really putting together an idea and communicating an idea, that's going to take 30 sometimes in front of different audiences of trying it. Um, and but by the way, quick talk about lessons, important things, you know, st comedians, you, we record every set, right? Every time you get on stage, nowadays it's easy because of your phone, but mm -hmm. you know, in the early to the mid two thousands, we were all walking around going to shows and open mics with our little, our like dictaphones and, and little Walkman recorders, putting it all on tape because that's the only way you can figure out how it works is put it out there listen to it, see what people responded to, and then hear it, try to hear it for the first time over and over again so you can fix it. That is the same as what I was talking about earlier with what we do at Charity Engine in terms of believing in the power of data. If you record everything in some way, you can use that data to improve what you're doing. So comics, it's recording it, in the nonprofit, it's making sure anything you do, you're capturing data and feedback on it to see if that was indeed successful or if you still have more work to do. Um, from the perspective of finding your voice, I'm gonna quote Jay Leno, I once heard him say, it, it takes six years before you even know what it is you wanna say when you're on stage. Um, and I think that's probably about true. I think the older you are, the easier it may be because you have perspective, you have life experience, you you understand who you are just better or more innately. I was starting when I was 21 years old. I loved stand-up. I wasn't fighting demons. I wasn't depressed. I, I had great parents, great upbringing. I was popular. I, I just love stand-up comedy. I think it is amazing at what it can do to people. So I had to figure out, okay, if I'm gonna do this stand-up comedy thing and I'm going to become my hero, my Seinfeld or my Carlin or my um, Billy Crystal, then I need to really try to understand 
who is it that my friends and my family who laugh at me all the time know? So that way, when I get on stage, I am saying things to the audience right away that they have context for me. Um, and that is that is the evolution of a couple of things. It's the evolution of um, taking chances. It's the evolution of listening to your material and doing a joke and getting feedback and being like, oh, you know what? Like that that kind of gets to who I am. What the, one of my first jokes that totally set the tone for really helped me crystallize who I was, was, um, and, and this was, I mean, this was years into it. Um, no, it wasn't a lot of years, but now I think about when I said it and it wasn't even on stage. I said it to a friend, um, in public. And I said, I was talking about my white Jewish upper suburban upbringing. I said, I'm so white and suburban. I took breakdancing lessons at the Jewish community center. And and like that, I got a huge laugh at the people I was sitting around, but I was thinking to myself, that is me. Like that right there tells you everything, so much about who I am. Um, and it was putting it out there and hearing it and realizing, okay, that message, that's who I am, that I knew innately who I was, but that is a great way to say it to an audience right away. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad. Did you know that 83% of the people on average, according to MNR, that go to your donate page do not give? Check your doctor. Results may vary, but people leave your donate page at a staggering level. GetLighthouse.io allows you to create a list of emails that went to that donate page but didn't necessarily give, allowing you to send a note, a follow-up saying, hey, how can I help you give? It connects to Google Analytics and Mail to add this functionality to your existing site. Go check it out at getlighthouse.io and back to our show. I want to come back to, you know, how long this takes in terms of workshopping and getting the, the feedback. Oftentimes that we've written our mission and vision statement in our about us section and we do it during a time where we're relaunching the website and then we just don't visit it again until the next relaunch. And imagine if you were a comedian and you went out with that stale material time and time and time and time again, you'd be out of business so quickly. The difference is the feedback loop. There's no hiding the fact that when you're on a stage and people just like stare at you and don't laugh, you're like, well, that didn't resonate. We just <laughs> don't seem to get that. Right. And we're looking at a bounce rate, a new visitor count, and the lack of time on site. Uh, it doesn't feel the same way. I feel like you need like a laugh track and then a boo track to go with analytics or something. Yeah, you, uh, it's well. The difference is one of the big differences is that in stand up, I'm there is a um, uh, a fixed variable which is pretty much the act, right? So when I do a joke in different settings, the fixed variable is the act. It's what's changing is where I'm doing it, the time, who did I follow, who's in the audience, um, a lot of other things. But I'm able to try that message out in front of a lot of different people. Um, in in the case of a, a, you know an organization, nonprofit doing 
um, email marketing or something, when you send it out, you're not really going to send the same thing 10 times again and again. So you only get one shot to work that particular joke. But I think when you put out a lot of content, when you put out blogs, when you put out pictures on your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed, and you start noticing the patterns of the ones that get the most likes or the blogs that, that seem to in, in, engage people the most or make you happiest, like that's the one you like, um, that is a way for you to workshop your message um, about who that, that's a way for you to work out the, the big idea messages because you don't have to have the perfect timing down that a comedian does, but you do have to make sure that what you're saying is relevant to audiences and makes them want to come back and keeps them engaged. That's the stuff you, you need to look at over time. So one Instagram doesn't, post doesn't tell you anything, but all, all your Instagram posts over six months, that's data that starts helping you see yourself and how others see you and what those connection points are. All right, I've got one more tangent before we move into our rapid fire round, just to, right. just to emotionally prepare you. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope I'm giving good answers here, George. Well, well, we'll have to look at the data. We'll see how many okay. boos you get or, or, or thumbs up you get. Uh, we spend a lot of time you know, running ads, um, you know, Google ad grants, paid spots. Uh, and we talk a lot about getting your message out there and, you know, to oversimplify it, we've got two framings, the positive and the negative, the, you know, the upside of the work you're doing and the people you're helping versus emphasizing, you know, the, the person in plight, uh, that needs support or, or stakeholder that, that needs support and, uh, the negative and positive framing, like I, more often than not, uh, I like to see the positive win, but some issues sometimes it, it is it is in that negative framing and tapping into the anger, which makes me a bit more nervous. But we see it in ads uh, a, a lot, and I wonder what you see work more often when you're communicating your cause. Do you mean from a, a nonprofit? Yeah, the nonprofit, the nonprofit perspective, because you know you, you're you're spending you know dollars on literally putting an ad out there on, on Facebook, on Instagram, saying, all right, which one of these is going to get me a dollar? And, you know, we as an industry to overgeneralize come from the, like, you know, flies and eyes type of photos, the, you know, show me the pain as opposed to the humor. And, uh, you know what I'm hoping for? Just make the pitch for, for positive uh, on humor, on the lightheartedness, on, on that side of the fence and, and anything you see that supports that. So I think uh, some, between the question of the, the dark and the funny yeah. is, is actually the, the important word is, is truth. And I think when you look at stand-up comedians that, and you can see, I mean, you, you can see it. I don't know if you saw the new Chappelle special um, mm -hmm. and even uh, Aziz Ansari where he went, that there's a lot of, there they're much darker than what these guys came in with. Um, they've been more pressed against life. They've lived more life. They've, they've experienced more and they can be more honest and truthful. And I think that's what really resonates with people. When you can present truth in a way that, um, 
I would say if you can present truth in a way that challenges people's subconscious perception, that's when you've got something. And that can be funny or it can be dark. But the most way, the, the best way to be impactful is be very truthful and honest and authentic, but do it in a way that was counter what someone, the reader or the viewer, or whatever, expected and would have assumed was coming. And yeah. I think that is more important than whether funny works versus whether positive works versus negative, because as if the fun, if the positive is a truth in a way that people weren't expecting that, then that can really resonate. And if the, the other side is it's ne more negative and it's truthful, but in a way that, yeah, people kind of already knew, I don't think that has impact. So I would say truth, but presented in a way that's counter what they were expecting. Yeah. And just to paraphrase it, I'm, I'm glad I pushed you on this because I feel like I just learned something and that's what this podcast is about me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the direction is truth. The paths should be unexpected. And what I was sort of stuck in is a positive or negative framing the dark or funny uh, elements uh, to get there. But as long as you're headed in that direction and the unexpected, um, that sort of delta is like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to say a thing. And then the whole thing about humor is violating that expectation. Right. Um, I, I, by the way, real quick example of it, I think the name of Whole Whale um, and the story behind it, because I, I saw the background of your story. That is something that it's positive and it has... Um, the words there are fun and they're nice and without really thinking about it, they're all, they're positive. Then when you get to the truth and where the name came from and your story on that, it's a very authentic, truthful and unexpected answer that makes you really dig in, really respond to what you as an organization, as your company is about, which is waste nothing. Um, there's always opportunity with what you have to make the most of it and, and look at that. And I think that's a great, you're a great example. And I didn't mean, wasn't planning that by the way. And this isn't a brown nose session. You'll but be paid afterward. I would expect noted. so. <laughs> um, but, but I really, but that, but again, I think that's an example of, of a truth that somebody was not necessarily expecting, but totally resonates. That's what is powerful to people. Yeah, I always have to disclose no whales were actually harmed in the making of the company. Um, I've only actually, to the pissing off thing, I've only been in, I'll call it two meetings where someone was like, how can you call yourself that? I was like, because I'm not killing whales. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It was an awkward meeting, um, but it was worth it because most people remember that story of like, oh, that company. That, oh, I get it. Alrighty, rapid fire time. Uh, Great, are, huh? are you prepared? Uh, I did not stretch, but I'm athletic, so it should work. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Uh, so this is a little bit of a surprise answer, but it's different, but it is technology and we've recently been using it through our own strategic efforts is online, um, part of a bigger thing, but online strengths assessments 
for the people within your organization. And this goes back to what really what my message was prior, which is um, being very honest and aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I have really liked using those so people I we all work with can say to themselves in an honest way, this is what I'm good at. This is maybe what I'm not good at. And how do I um, build on what I'm good at? How do I uh, turn to my team to help me or be better at the things I'm not good at? And there are, web, there are online tools that allow you to do that. But I am loving what that has brought to our organizational uh, connectivity. What are the biggest tech issues you're battling with? So I would say uh, the same thing that our, our clients are um, is what I'm always focused on, which is data collection and management of the data. Um, it's hard and we're really good at it. I mean, that's what we do and that's what our technology is. And it's still, and you know, a, an everyday, it's like exercise, it's an everyday ritual. Um, I would say that is always gonna be the biggest focus and challenge. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? Uh, more of my speaking gigs, <laughs> personally, selfishly, that would be cool. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that now shapes the way you do things today. You know, early in my career, I assumed everyone was smarter than me. And because of that, I really trusted everybody else's decisions because I thought they were smarter than me. As I've gotten older and you know hit 40 and in that level of maturity, I, I realized that I, they're not. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's valuable when you're young to be assume that everyone's smarter than you because if you think you're smarter than everyone when you're right out of college, then well, you're not. So at least go in with, at least be surprised by the fact that you are actually just as smart as everybody. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Uh, can I do, can they successfully go out of business? No, I think they would um, change their focus, build on their brand. Um, I do think that Sometimes I think that maybe consolidation in our industry would be smarter, um, that nonprofits who are doing the same thing and are challenged in keeping it going may be better off consolidating. But I think a strong brand, if it's doing well, is going to evolve into its next thing. If I were to toss you in a hot tub time machine to go back to, let's say, the beginning of your work at Charity Engine, what advice would you give yourself? Well, I don't know about my beginning of my work at Charity Engine, but I would say if I was to go in a time machine that goes back to early, the early side of my career um, in general, is don't be afraid to ask for money. Um, and that is for yourself. And that is, that's what fundraisers do. And you're asking people for money. Um, you know, when you're, if you're doing a service and you're billing people, bill them what you believe you deserve. Um, so I would say that's something I'd, I'd like to have known a little bit better about. What is something that you think you or your organization should stop doing? Um, it's not that we should stop doing it, but I think you constantly need to remind yourself of where your North Star is 
and focus on that and following that um, and don't get out of your lane too far. If I gave you a Harry Potter style wand to wave across the nonprofit sector, what would it do? I would, uh, going back to an earlier, I'd want everybody to focus on their data aggregation. I'd want people to stop doing all these different things and, and say, let's, we have a lot of information, let's bring it together and use it smartly. How did you get started in the social impact sector? So uh, well, I told you kind of my first job that related to nonprofits, but what really excited me about Charity Engine was I had done a lot of work with technology and CRMs um, and, uh, and, and applications, web app, SaaS applications. Um, when Charity Engine, the opportunity became uh, uh, available to me, it not only brought together a lot of what I loved, which was working with technology and marketing and trying to be creative and B2B, but touching people with a very B2C mentality. Um, my wife has been in fundraising since uh, since I've known her. Uh, she's been a director of development, um, a chief development officer, uh, director of special events. She's now the director of advancement at a private school. Um, and I would say, her being being able to go home to an expert every day on my field has really been what um, was an exciting thing that I would say proven now almost seven years later uh, was really wonderful. What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would give them the same advice I would actually give people not looking to be in the social impact sector, which is. When you're right out of college and you're, you've got all this opportunity, work on a campaign. Work, um, try to help get a candidate elected um, and be part of that. You don't, if you don't really need the money, you can sleep on couches, you can live on ramen. Um, there is so much to learn and there's so many connections and so much experience to be had working on a political campaign that that's the time to do it. What career advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't? So um, my father was a patent attorney um, who started a firm with three other guys and it grew into a very large uh, firm, over 130 attorneys, like 220 people. So, I mean, it was amazing to watch. And he loved what he did. He loved patent law. And his message to me always was, do what it is you want to wake up and do every day, because you'll either make a lot of money doing it, because you'll be great at it, and that's what you'll be passionate about it, and we'll, you'll be inspired, or you won't make a lot of money at it, but what does it matter? Because you get to wake up and do what you love every day. And then the third thing that happens is, it will at least put you perhaps down a path to finding other things that you love. And I would say that was a really big, for, for to be the son of an uh, attorney who was paying for me to go to school and live life, for him to say, follow the things you love and money should follow was an incredible lesson that a lot of people just don't get. Why don't lobsters give to charity? This is where I should be funny. Why don't lot? Is it? Do you have an answer? Is there a punchline? 
or this is a uh, this is a uh, philosophical question. Uh, it's because they're shellfish. Da, 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 da. There it is. I couldn't resist. All right, final question. Um, How do people find you? How do people help you? So uh, if people are looking for uh, help in the donor management software world, the CRM, fundraising platform, fundraising tools, um, that's charityengine.net. Reach out to me, um, Lee, L-E-I-G-H dot Kessler at charityengine.net. You can, uh, regarding my stand-up, uh, my website is standupspeaker.com. So charityengine.net or standupspeaker.com, both will bring you to me. All roads lead to lead. Thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us. It was so fun having you on the podcast. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun here. I always enjoy hearing the lessons of another industry applied to the one we work in. I think for me, the big take home was about crafting over time through practice, through feedback, the message you're sending, the narrative you're building. And it's not sort of, you know, going into hibernation mode and coming out with a magnificent statement that lasts and stands the test of time. It's about that process, the same way that a comedian refines their voice, their statements and jokes uh, by, you know, sort of brutal audience feedback. That's what we need. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to think about when we're crafting our narratives and messaging. And, you know, there's there are great tools to do that. Uh, I know I brought up advertising in there, but there's no firmer way of saying, hey, does this message resonate with this target audience than when nobody clicks on one ad and then everybody clicks on another ad? It's very clear that the way you framed that picture, that statement, and that positioning of your organization just worked better for that audience. So, uh, you know, do it like a comedian. Take some of this advice. Uh, put it into practice. Hopefully that was helpful. This was episode 142. Resources can be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Again, episode 142. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at wholewhale. And thanks for joining us. Music today and every day, gregthomasmusic.org. That's the music you should listen to and use because gregthomasmusic.org.